title of the, of the teaching for this week, and it is a teaching, um, is a strategy for troubled times. How many of you in this room realize we're in troubled times? If you didn't raise your hands, you were in more troubled times than <laughs> What a season that we're in right now. And let me tell you, in this season that we're in, it's time that we, the people of God, would start to draw our strength, our courage, and our resolve from the Word of God and from the Holy Spirit who lives in us. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus because there's so much bombarding us, so much coming at us constantly. We're living in an age right now that I've never seen before. This is, like, this is a fulfillment of the prophecy in Daniel. Daniel said that in the last days, information would just go just, just like crazy. We are constantly bombarded with new information. Now, if all of that information was coming from a source of truth, we'd be in really good shape. But the biggest problem that we have is you don't know what to believe anymore. Right. Don't know who to listen to. Don't know what's accurate. Don't know... Okay? Are you getting this? Yes. Never before has the human race had to endure what we're enduring right now. Our heartaches when we, when we read the headlines. I mean, just this, this past week, just a week ago, Haiti, a nation that was already poverty-stricken, already one of the most poverty-stricken areas in the Western Hemisphere, suffered a major earthquake, powerful aftershocks have been happening for days after that. And then on top of that, a storm comes through, uh, like, like they needed another, another catastrophe on top of everything else. So we need to keep them in prayer. We need to keep that nation in prayer and for the relief workers and all that. Afghanistan, what a disaster. What a nightmare. I can't even imagine, I'm sure you've had the same thoughts, can't even imagine what it must be like to fear for your life right now. And every day we're hearing more horror reports. Every day we're hearing more and more things that are very, very concerning. I don't think any of us can really relate to that unless at one point in your life you lived in a nation like that. But to have to fear every time the doorbell rings or, or the, somebody knocks or you see a car pull up in front of your house, just to live in that kind of fear. And so we need to keep the, the, those people in prayer, the nation itself, especially those, uh, especially those native uh, individuals that were working with the United States for this past 20 years. Um, interpreters, uh, individuals that were, were working with the contractors from the United States. Their lives are in, in danger. Uh, but on top of that, the Christian relief workers, the missionaries, the underground church leaders, we're hearing reports every day of more and more pastors being assassinated and individuals just, just I can't even imagine that. So, so on top of that here, just here in our country, you know, COVID is back on the scene, you know, full force again, and it's causing millions of people to live in fear. Uh, again, because you don't know what stats to believe. You don't know what, it, it just, it's, if you, let me tell you something. Is there's ever been a time when the church needs to hear from the Holy Spirit? Amen. Man, it is now. You need to know on the inside what direction to go. You need to know. I mean, people are constantly sending messages or emails or just in person. Pastor, what should I do? Should I get the vaccine? Should I, Honey, I can't tell you what to do. You've got to hear for yourself. You've got to hear from the Holy Spirit. You've got you to have peace in your heart which direction to go in. And just pray. Just pray. Amen. So we're living in troubled times. So what do we do? What do we do? I mean, this isn't the first time in history we're living in troubled times like this. And, and the, all these things I talked about, are they're on a national and international level, but even on a more personal level. 
There are many individuals sitting here right now, tonight, that are dealing with sickness, dealing with the loss of a loved one, dealing with financial problems, financial pressures, family problems, emotional problems. I mean, it's just life in 2021. It seems like it's just one thing after another after another. Aren't you glad you came tonight? So encouraging. But it gets better, though. It gets better. I want you to remember something, okay? I talked about this last week, and I think I might have mentioned it even the week before. The Bible is a library of books. Now, you have it contained in one book, sandwiched in between two covers, but it's a library of books. It's made up of all different books, and every one of those books serves a different purpose. So when we need comfort, we go to the book of Psalms. Amen? When we need wisdom, we go to the book of Proverbs. Uh, When you want to study the life of Jesus, you're going to go where? To the Gospels. If you want to find out the history of the early church, where are you going to go? Book of Acts, very good. Um, if, you're gonna fi- if you want to find out what's, what we're living in now and what's coming in the future, Revelation and the New Testament. What about the Old Testament? Let's get some real Bible scholars here. Daniel, look at you. Oh, good. How about some of the epistles? Where do we go in the epistles if we want to find out what's going on? About like 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians? Amen? So, so the Bible exists for us to give us comfort, to give us wisdom, give us understanding, to, to learn from the mistakes of the past, and that's why you have the Old Testament, so that we can learn from the mistakes that were made. For instance, about the Israelites, how they grumbled and complained when they came out of Egypt, and how God had to deal with them so that we don't grumble and complain as we're walking towards our promised land, right? So everything we need for life In fact, Peter wrote it, all things pertaining to life and godliness come through the knowledge of him. Amen? Amen. So I want to take you to one of the Psalms tonight. We're going to start there. That's going to be the basis of this teaching. And we're going to go from there to an incident that's recorded for us in the Old Testament that I think is going to be a major, major, major impactful um, thing for us to really take, take with us tonight. Amen? So the Psalms, Psalms are the songbook of Israel. This was their hymn book. If you grew up in a uh, Protestant church, I grew up in a Catholic church. We didn't have hymnals. We had an old lady in the back on the balcony that used to sing. That was it. Okay, but if you grew up in like a Baptist church or Protestant church, my wife grew up as Lutheran, so so first time we went to church, and I'm like, what are all these books here, you know? So they had books, and in those books were songs, because nobody ever sang them, but, but they're there. So the songbook of Israel, the hymnal of Israel, is the book of Psalms. And if I could really just, can I take like a 20-second detour here? Yes. Okay. Um, most of the Psalms, a very good number of the Psalms, are written by King David. And King David had this thing about, he loved to go to God to vent his emotions. Okay, now that might not be significant to you, but it was very significant to me because my son Michael, who used to be the worship leader here, sat me down one day and he said, Dad, I know, you know, we're faith people. How many, how many are faith people here tonight? Amen. We're faith people and we believe in the power of words, yes? Yes. Right, we do, right? Yes. Okay, so, so many of us, many of us either were taught from being young or whatever your church experience was that we watch our words, Okay. So my son Michael sat me down one day and he said, Dad, I know you're, you're, you're a stickler for this kind of stuff and you watch your words. 
He said, but do you realize that the majority of the Psalms that David wrote was him venting to God? And I went, shut up. (laughs) So God will take your venting. And if you listen to him, he'll turn it around because by the time David gets to the end of those Psalms, he's not venting anymore. He's worshiping God. He's declaring his goodness. Are you getting what I'm saying tonight? We're going to see this in Psalm 46. We're we're, we're going to right now. Verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Selah. Now, Selah is just a word that's always, it's, it, you know, it always sticks out. Selah means absorb this, meditate on this, let it sink down deep inside. What? Let what sink down deep inside? God is our refuge. This isn't just cute lyrics to a song. He is our refuge. He is our very present help in trouble. And therefore, 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 because God is our refuge, because he's our strength, because he's our very present help in trouble, we will not fear. No matter what calamity comes on the earth, I'm paraphrasing now. Let's skip down to verse four. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God the holy place of the tabernacle of the most high God. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. You know, it's it's funny when you read this and and you, you think about what Jesus had to say to the disciples. In John chapter eight, Jesus said that there would be a river of life that flows out of our very core, okay? Now, they say, well, where's the connection here? This is talking about possibly Jerusalem. It's talking about the tabernacle in Jerusalem. It's the place where the Ark of the Covenant was kept until the temple was built. Okay, but Paul declared under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we are the temple. We are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Are you, are you listening? And it's from our very being that joy can flow from us even in the midst of troubled times. We can rejoice in advance of our victory. I'm gonna say that again. Because sometimes that seems like that's the hardest thing to do. You and I can rejoice in advance of our victory. In fact, I've seen times in my own life, and I've observed it in other people's lives, that the greater the rejoicing is before the victory comes, the quicker the victory comes. You listening? Please listen to me. I'm teaching principles tonight. I'm not trying to tickle anybody's ears. I'm not trying to hype anybody. These are spiritual principles from the word of God. Okay? So there's a river that lives on the inside of us, and it's going to flow forth if we'll let it. Tonight, we saw a little bit of that happening during praise and worship. I don't know if you realize it or not, but the first couple of songs we did were, were, were good. We, you, you felt good, right? You felt good. But when we sang that last song, something kicked in. You felt it. You felt it come into the room. You felt it. You felt the shift in the atmosphere. Okay? That river was going forth. That river was going forth. In that river, there's healing. Amen? Amen. Verse 6. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. Verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Think about that. Let that settle in. 
Come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in fire. Now, this is yet to be seen in its fullness because it refers to the time when Jesus is going to reign on the earth, which is coming very quickly. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Again, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Now, this psalm is meant to give us hope in troubled times, but notice something. It spends little time talking about trouble itself. It tells us more about the God who's with us in troubled times. That's important. That's very important because I want you to take a minute here. I want you to just take some time, okay, and just think about something in your own life. Think about how do you handle troubled times? In fact, if the, do you think the people that are around you would be aware if you were going through troubled times? Now say, well, how can that be? Well, what's coming out of your mouth? You see what I'm saying? What's, what's coming out of your mouth? Because those of us, that, when we're around you, what are we hearing? Are we hearing the mountains are falling into the sea? Are we hearing the skies falling? Are we hearing the lament? Are we hearing the trouble? Are we hearing how bad it is? Are we hearing about what happened last week and the week before and the week before? Well, Pastor, you just said that we can vent. Vent, but don't live there. David vented, but David didn't live there. And as soon as he got it, as soon as he got it out, okay, get it out, but don't live there. I've said this before. I'll probably say it again in the future. How many have people in your life? Of course, nobody in here would ever do anything like this. How many have people in your life that the worst question you could ask them is, "How are you doing?" Don't squirm if it's you. You understand what I'm saying? Do I need to go any further than that? Okay, so Psalm 46 really is lifting up the name of God. It's lifting up the position that God has. It's lifting up the characteristics of God. Yes, it's saying there are troubles. The nations are raging right now. Okay, there are natural calamities. There are natural disasters. There is sickness. There is pestilence. There are diseases. But we don't belong to this world system. That's a whole nother teaching. Okay? Because remember this. Okay, remember this, please. Now, the truth that you're going to experience is the truth that you believe. Now, I know there's people who read scriptures and read them and even memorize them, but they really don't believe them. For instance, to give you some more hope, the times that we're in are very dark, yes? Yes. Okay, but the Bible tells us when the darkness comes, the light shines brighter. Okay, now we are very much in, in the same type of a time period as the Israelites were before they were released from Egypt. Now the church at some point in time, in the very near future, is going to be released from this Egypt. But while they were there, while they were in Egypt, all hell was breaking loose on the Egyptian empire. But where the Israelites were, there's light. When the, when the Egyptians' cattle were dying, the flocks of the Israelites were prospering. When all kinds of calamities were hitting the Egyptian empire and the land where they lived in the northern part of Egypt on the Mediterranean, 
they were not suffering the things that the rest of the Egyptians were suffering. Are you listening to me? Okay, whether you want to believe that or not, look, there are types and shadows that tell us principles in the word of God. And so if God did that for the Israelites and they weren't even born again, if God did that for the Israelites and the redemption had not even been purchased yet, how much more is he going to cover you in these dark times? Okay, but you have to believe that. Psalm 46 teaches us to talk more about God than to talk about the calamity. Are you listening? So again, I'm not saying this is to put salt in a wound or to embarrass anyone, but if we were around you for 15 minutes, what would we hear? Now, listen, I'm going to warn you ahead of time. I've had people sit through service just like this, decided teaching, walk out the doors and start talking darkness, not five feet from those doors. And I look at them and go, did you hear anything? Pastor, what do you think about, pastor, what do you think? I don't think about any of that. It's none of my business. The stuff you're talking about is the world system. We belong to a different system here. We live in a different economy. It's different. We're the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the chosen. There's a reason why they picked that name. The chosen. Okay? We're not better than. We're different. We don't look down on others because where they are, you used to be. Okay? We don't do that. But we also recognize this. Jesus said that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Now, either he's right or your experience is right. You know what? I'm going to go with him. Are you catching this? All right, good. So, so the lesson we learned from Psalm 46 is in the face of tough times, talk about God. Talk about God. Make your God bigger than the problem. Don't make your problem bigger than God. Okay? If you listen to some people, you think God fell asleep on the throne. Don't make your problems bigger than God. They're never going to be bigger than, than God. No matter how much darkness tries to come into your life, it cannot overcome the light. It's impossible. Are you listening? Are you listening or did you just come to hang out tonight? All right, good. Joel Osteen said this. Don't spend your time telling God about how how big your mountain is. Spend your time telling your mountain about how big your God is. That's powerful. So how do we overcome tough times? By speaking faith-filled words. It's the answer to whatever troubles you. Amen? So... Why don't we do this? Let's just jump right into where I want to go because the time is going by tonight. We spent a lot of time on ministry before. Go to 2 Kings chapter 4. I love, love, love this story. If you got your Bible, you got your app, 2 Kings chapter 4 tells us the story of the prophet Elisha. Say Elisha. Elisha. Not Elijah, Elisha. It's two different people. Elijah's one person, Elisha's another. And this incident that's recorded for us involves a, a woman, a couple that lived in a village called Shunem. Say Shunem. Elisha used to pass through this area often. And she and her husband would invite him to have dinner with her. With, yeah, they would say to him, if you're in the area, come on, stop by. 
We're going to make you dinner. I don't know what they would have, if it was spaghetti and meatballs or fried chicken, whatever. <laughs> at, one point, at one point, she convinces her husband to build a small apartment for this man of God so that when he passed through that area, he would stay there. One day, Elisha asked what could be done to show his thanks to this woman and her husband. And we'll pick up in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 14. So he, Elisha, said, what then can be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son, and her husband is old. Verse 15, so he, Elisha, said to his servant, Gehazi, call her. When he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said to her, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. Now, we don't know what the story is, what the backstory is, but judging by that response, it's not hard to imagine that this woman has probably had a series of miscarriages or she's had a really, really, really hard problem getting pregnant, okay? How do we know? Well, judge it by, she's saying, what is she saying? Hey, listen, don't tease me. Don't tease me. Don't get my hopes up, is what she's saying. In other words, she's thinking, hey, listen, I've learned how to live like this. I'm okay now. Don't, don't dangle something in front of me. Okay, but watch this now. But the story tells us that she did, in fact, conceive. Verse 17, but the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come of which Elisha had told. In other words, a year later, she's holding a baby. Now, the word of the Lord through the prophet came to pass just as he said. And this woman received a reward from the Lord for the kindness that she's shown this man of God. She had a son to enjoy for the rest of her days. Verse 18, years later. And the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. It's harvest time. He's going out. He's going to spend time with his dad. His dad's probably proud. He's got a little son with him, along with his servants. They're out in the fields. It's harvest time. It's time to gather in all the crops. And so it happened that one day when he went out to his father to the reapers, verse 19, and he said to his father, my head, my head. So he, the father, said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. It's like, what just happened here? Because the enemy is always trying to rob us of what God has promised to us. And so... In troubled times like this, we need to learn how to stand steadfast. Trust God, because it's not over yet. It's not over yet. Turn to somebody and say, I don't know what you're going through. But it's not over yet. Verse 21. Now watch this now. The title of this message is A Strategy for Troubled Times. We're going to learn from this woman's conduct, from her behavior, what kind of strategy that you and I could employ when we get to troubled times in our life? And they're going to come. You notice you don't have to get up in the morning and pray, oh God, send me some troubled times. <laughs> send me some challenges. Like they come automatically. Yes or no? Yes. They come automatically. And they come in all different shapes and sizes and flavors. Verse 21. Now let's, let's, re, let's, let's kind of regather the whole thing here, okay? This child, we don't know how old he is. But he's old enough to go to work with his dad. He's obviously suffered some type of sunstroke. Okay? 
The father doesn't realize the seriousness of the situation, so he tells one of the servants, carry him to his mother, okay, which I would imagine that was a, led to a nice discussion between the mother and father later on. So we won't go there. And this child sits on her knees until noon and then dies. Now, what does she do? Verse 21. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. Remember that little apartment that she built for Elisha? She, she's thinking to herself, I got to get him close to where the power of God is. Amen. And so the first thing she can think of is she brings him up and lays him on the bed of the man of God. She shut the door upon him and went out. Now, this is a tough one. Because I guarantee you, everything within her wants to scream. Everything within her wants to cry. Everything within her wants to just bust the whole house up. Because this child that she's been waiting for so long is laying on the bed dead. But she puts him up there. She shuts the door. Then she called her husband, verse 22, and said, please send me one of the young men, one of the servants, and one of the donkeys, that I may run to the man of God and come back. He's clueless. Again, probably led to a serious discussion later on. Verse 23, so he said, why are you going to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. In other words, it's not a holiday. It's not the Sabbath. It's not the day to worship. And she said, you want to repeat these three words with me, nice and loud? It is well. Now, some translation says it shall be well. One way or the other, she is not talking about the tragedy that just happened. She is declaring in advance, what? It shall be well. Then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward. Don't slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And I did a little bit of research here. Minimum distance from where she is to Mount Carmel is 15 miles. We're not talking about you jumping in your car and heading down to Seaside. We're talking about a, a journey on a donkey, which must have taken some time. Because no matter how much you beat them donkeys, they can only go so fast. You got this? So it was now, now the prophet is on Mount Carmel. On, on what? On a mount. He can see in the distance. So it was when the man of God saw her far off, and he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, Ready, one, two, three, it is well. Now don't think that this has gotten easier from the time that she left her son on the bed to the time that she's traveled for 15 miles on a donkey. It hasn't gotten easier. Don't tell me that her, her mind wasn't tormented with the thoughts of, it's it. You're never going to have another child. Yet when she's given the opportunity to say, what's up? Is everything okay with you? Everything okay with, with your husband, the child? What did she say? But naturally speaking, was it? But what does she want to see? Does she want to bury her son? Or does she want to receive this son? So what does she say? It is well. well. Even in her anguish, she is answered from her faith, not her fear. 
Verse 27, she answered, it is well. Verse 27, and when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi, the servant, came near to push her away. But the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. You know, sometimes God doesn't show anybody else what you're going through. Sometimes it's between you and him. You listening to me? Because there's too many of us, we're too taught, too trained in this culture that we're in to jump on Facebook and tell everybody your business. Jump on whatever. Send texts to 20 different people. Go call up. Can you pray for me? 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 But sometimes... God wants it to just be you and him. He wants to show you some things. He wants to teach you some things. He wants to train you how to deal with some situations. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, they can be either the loneliest times of life or they could be the most rewarding times of life. The difference is determined by you. Verse 28. So she said, now, now she's venting. Because this is the guy who told her you're going to have a son. Did I ask for a son of my Lord? Did I not say do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. If anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, you can send him with that staff. I'm not going nowhere. As the Lord lives, as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Sometimes God is looking for somebody with tenacious faith. Someone who says, I am not letting go until I see the results. I think about Genesis chapter 32. talks about Jacob. How he wrestled with the Lord and would not let go of him until the Lord blessed him. Because of that, that, that relentless stance that he took. Because of that grip that he put on God. Jacob's name was changed from Jacob, which means trickster or con artist, to Israel, the prince of God. What about that woman that came to Jesus about her demon-possessed daughter? She didn't care what Jesus said. He pretty much called her a dog. He said, it's not right for me to take the children's bread and give it to dogs. She went, woof, woof. She didn't care. Call me a dog all you want. But I want my daughter healed. And she said, well, even the dogs eat the crumbs from under the children's table. I, I read that. I went, man, she's got, that's tenacious faith. You know? Think about Simeon and Anna staying at the temple day and night waiting for the Messiah to come because they had a promise from God that they would not die until they saw him with their own eyes. And finally, because of their faith, because of their stance, because they were not going to give up until they saw God's promise come to pass, they were both there on the day when Mary and Joseph brought eight-day-old little Jesus to the temple to be dedicated to God. Faith won't take no for an answer. Are you listening? Listen, I want to stir this up because, you see, there was a time, there was a time when, when it was very popular to live by faith. And that something shifted about 10 years ago when people started saying, oh, I've got to contend for this. 
Oh, you mean I really got to walk in faith? Oh, I just can't recite a scripture and see it come to pass? Yeah, now it's the real thing. Now is the real thing. Now we've got to live by faith. So stir yourself up, sweetheart. We're in for a ride. Okay, from now until the time Jesus comes back, it doesn't get easier. We just get more equipped. I don't think you caught that. It's not going to get easier. We're going to be more equipped. And if that doesn't fit your theology, I'm sorry, then you got to go read the Bible. Because the just shall live by faith. That appears about four times to my knowledge from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And God takes no pleasure with those who draw back and don't live by faith. And let me tell you something. Right now, you've got to live by faith. You walk in a supermarket and somebody's coughing all over you while you're in the cashier line, you better live by faith. You listening to me? Verse 31. Now Gehazi, remember that's his servant, went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, saying, the child is not awakened. And when Elisha came to the house, there was a child lying dead on his bed. And he went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands, And he stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. But he's not awake yet. So look at all the people that have to walk in faith here. He returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite woman. So he called her, and when she came into him, he said, Pick up your son. And so she went in and fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. And she picked up her son and went out. Life lessons here. Life lessons here. Watch this now. Okay? Saying the right things at the worst times will make a big difference in the outcome. Saying the right thing at the worst. It's easy to say the right thing at the right time. But saying the right thing at the worst time It's what's going to determine the outcome. Look at how many people are operating in faith here. This woman, she's got faith that something good's going to come from this relationship. So she convinces her husband, let's build a little apartment for this guy. Okay? He could use it as a tax write-off. Okay? So he gets convinced to build this little apartment. Elisha wants to see her blessed. So he prophesies over her that she's going to have a son. Son is born. Years later, there's a problem. The husband, he's useless. (laughs) Take the kid to his mother. What does she do? Does she freak out? Does Does she fall to pieces? What she do? She immediately realizes what I say in the next few minutes is going to determine whether I have a son in the future or not. She knows she can't go to the husband. He's already shown he's useless. So she's, okay, I got to get to the man of God. You know the story. We just went through it. So she's operating in faith. 
Elisha's operating in faith. Gehazi's operating in faith, which if you read his story in the, in the rest of the book, you'll notice this is the only time this guy operates in faith. Okay? Everybody's operating in faith. So that this child who can operate in faith receives a reward of everyone else operating in faith. Makes you think about that, that man that was brought before Jesus that they lowered through the roof. It was the faith of the four friends that got him healed. You realize that? So the strategy we have when we're in troubled times, what are we going to do? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. If that woman would have walked by sight, she wouldn't have had that child restored to her. Now, there's a, there's a man who lived, actually went to heaven in 1947. His name was Smith Wigglesworth, mighty man of faith. He made this statement famous. I am not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I am moved by what I believe. Now, let me just, can I just say this, and, and I'm just going to wrap this up real quick. There is coming a time, and now is, where the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be in two camps. There's going to be those who are going to continue living the way they've been living, ruled by feelings, ruled by emotions, blown about by every wind that comes across. Every time there's a tiny little bit of danger, they're just going to fall to pieces. Then there's going to be the camp that's going to live by faith. Now, now, the camp that lives by faith is always ostracized and persecuted by the camp that lives by feelings. You're going to need to determine within your heart which camp you're going to fall in. Because you can't depend on Mr. Televangelist on TV, no matter how internationally known they are. Okay? Because most are teaching according to feelings, emotions. They want you to wallow on your baggage. Like, yeah, God knows how brokenhearted you are. Yeah, I know God knows how broken. God knew how brokenhearted this woman was too. But he honored her faith, not her wailing. Some of you sitting there right now and you're going, man, this is harsh. He's talking harsh. Talking harsh because we don't know what other storms we're going to face in the future. Judging by what we've seen over the past few years, we're on a roller coaster ride, sweetheart. So you want to stay with your feelings? You want to listen to stuff that's going to pet you and make you feel good? (laughs) Go right ahead. We're teaching faith. We're equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. Not equipping saints to suck their thumb on a corner someplace so everybody come over and go, are you okay? I don't need somebody to come over and say, are you okay? I need somebody to say, hey, come on. I know what you're going through. Let's go. Let's do this together. Let's fight this together. Let's trust God together. Let's say what God says. Let's not say what your feelings say. Okay? Well, well, I think that's cold. I think I should, I should have to, you know, I should be able to, again, vent, my, yeah, vent them, but don't live there. I see way too many people, and you probably see more than I do, way too many people who have learned now that if I play the victim, and if I'm just all about my, my hardships and my, my heartbreaks and all my things that went wrong in my life, I get more attention. 
I'll tell you a true story, whether you want to believe it or not. There was a person we knew while we were going to Bible school. I can't give too many details because some of you in this room know you'll put the thing together and you'll know who I'm talking about. She had a daughter that was always sick, chronically. Always sick, always sick. Whatever fashionable disease was on the headlines, she got it. One day the Lord spoke to me. Now I'm in my second year of Bible school. Um, she had just moved there the year before. And said to her, I want you to go to so-and-so's house and I want you to pray for her daughter that she'd be healed. Daughter's only 12, 13. I go to the house. My wife came with me. I told her what, what the Lord had told me. I lay hands on her. The power of God goes into this, this little girl. She's healed. I call the next day. How's, how's she doing? She's good, but there's go, there goes all my disability checks. By that afternoon, every one of those sicknesses was back on that kid. I'm telling you, this is real stuff. Careful, you're either going to live in faith or you're going to play the victim. Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to go to heaven. You go to heaven. I don't know if anybody's going to want to hang around, hang around with you in heaven. But you'll go to heaven because we go to heaven because of what Jesus did for us. Amen. And your spirit is perfected, okay, when you're born again. But you want to live in your soul the rest of your life? You want to live constantly in your emotions and your feelings and everybody? Oh, nobody feels sorry for me. You know, we shouldn't feel sorry for you. Okay, it's done. It's over with. What do you want to do? You want to wallow in that? You want to stay in that? What you want to do? You want to stay in it? Now, granted, there's time to grieve. I understand that. And there's many families in this church that have lost loved ones. And I'm, I am not talking about not having the chance to grieve. I'm very much talking. You go right ahead. Get in the Psalms. Get right in there with David. Okay? Get yourself unburdened from that stuff. But dear God Almighty, after you're done, man, get up and, and take it out of the devil's hide. Amen. Make him pay for everything that he's done for you or to you. Make him pay for every loss. Make him pay for every day that you had to spend in the hospital. Make him pay for that lost loved one. Make him pay for the finances that you lost. Go after him with a vengeance. You listening? Either we're going to walk by the principles of God or we're going to walk by the principles of man. There's not going to be any in between. There's definitely going to be a separation in the church. No, we're seeing it already. We're seeing it already. It started, literally started coming to the surface a couple of years ago. Amen? Amen? So what do you want to do? You want to live by feelings? You want to live by the word of God? Let's go by the word of God. Amen? Amen. Let me just give you this one scripture, then we're done. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to go right to verse 18. Nah, better not. Okay, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer person is decaying, yet our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Now, this is written by a man who was shipwrecked twice, stoned to death, persecuted every village he went to, and he calls it a momentary light affliction. Verse 18, here it is. This is what I want you to leave with tonight. 
while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. You know what temporal means? Temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. So when the worst of time comes, you lift your voice and you say what God says. Because when we say what he's already said, then what he said comes to pass. Are you listening? I don't know if you realize what you, what you got exposed to here tonight. You and I are to live by faith. That's what honors God. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Now, he would not expect you to live according to something that he did not equip you for. You have the faith of God living in you. You just need to tap into it. You listening? Amen.